Let's stand for the reading of the word, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. We're excited for them both uh, getting married just here a little over two months away or right at two months. How many days? <laughs> 54 days. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. That's 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces that he ruled over to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. The princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound. Now, I contemplated what translation of the Bible I was going to read this in, and I went with the King James because I thought it would help someone find some inspiration here. The cornet, the flute, the harp. The, I'm not even going to say it. This is just seems so inappropriate. The harp, something, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of, everyone say music. You fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And whoso falls not down and worships shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. If you don't bow when the music plays to the image that's being dedicated, you will be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Amen. I want to preach with the help of the Lord on this topic. We will not bow. We will not bow. Would you lay your Bibles and devices down and let's lift up our hands one more time together and let's ask the Lord to have his way. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together in your name. We thank you for the family of God of which we are a part. Thank you, Lord, for every member, every guest, every visitor that is here with us. And I pray let the word of God go forward without restraint. I pray let there be clarity to the word of God. Help me to preach as your spirit leads me to preach this message. Lord, I pray let our hearts be pliable and ready to receive, Lord, with humility the word of God that is able to save our souls. Lord, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, and we'll give your name all the praise and all the glory. Somebody say, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Shake hands with someone, one more person before you're seated and say, we will not bow. We will not bow. Thank you, Jesus. We will not bow. 
Amen. We have quite a story here. To me, this is probably one of uh, the most, if I could say it this way, one of the most entertaining, dramatic stories uh, in Scripture, um, especially that of the Old Testament. Uh, we see all of these things unfolding, and, and really from, from the very uh, first chapter in Daniel chapter 1, we kind of see how this all comes into play. Uh, what has happened here is that the children or the kingdom of Judah had backslidden into this uh, sinful state. And they were warned by many prophets, uh, by the word of God, that says, if you, if you go down this road, it will lead to this destination. You know, it's just, it, he made it real simple. He said, this is the road that leads to destruction. It will lead to your captivity. He explained it very clearly clearly, but the people over and over, over again, they would not hear it. The majority of the kingdom of Judah would not hear it until finally the king of Babylon laid siege to Jerusalem, to Judah, and took, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, that he decimated and destroyed the land, but he took all of the uh, the most beautiful, the most handsome, the most educated, the most fair young people of the land. So he picked all the most handsome and most beautiful young people, most educated of the land. And some of these young people right now are like, he would have picked me. No? He, he would have picked me. I, I would have been one of those that their lives would have been spared and I would have been taken as prisoner and have been uh, living in the courts and the palace of the king of Babylon. But again, mind you, that what is happening here, now, while you see this as an act of mercy, it really was essentially the wisdom of this particular king. He wanted to bring all the best knowledge and the most beautiful into his kingdom so that it could be grafted in part of what he has dominion over. And he was going to cause all of them either to be married into his people and then essentially be, become his, his people or they were not to have any kids and not be married but still be his subjects so that he could gain wisdom and insight, especially from their men. He wanted their young men especially to come in and be his strength, to be his advisors, to be there, a part of his collection of counselors and wisdom. And uh, among these individuals were four that are mentioned by name in the first chapter of Daniel. There was Belteshazzar is what uh, the Babylonian king named him, but we see that the name of the book is actually Daniel, which was his Hebrew name. And then we are also introduced to these three, we call them these three Hebrew boys, right? These three Hebrew boys. And, uh, and for good reason, actually, because they probably weren't really even out of their teenage years. They were still just young boys, really. And they were probably just very young teenagers, but he brought them in. But we see that there's a stark difference from the very outset. These boys, including Daniel, and then the others were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which most of us know them by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abilego. Abendigo. Curse you, Veggie Tales. You get me every time. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know them by these names. Now, these names were actually given to them by the Babylonians. Now, they had other names, names that they actually received on the day that they were circumcised or the day that they obeyed the covenant of the Lord for the people of God. This is very important. Understand what I'm telling you here. They were given names, and their names honored the Hebrew God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They honored the God of the Old Testament, which was manifest in flesh in the face of Jesus Christ. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But they were given Babylonian names. And these names, each and every one of them, were designed to honor the gods of the Babylonians. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these were given to them because from the very outset, they wanted their names to be different to honor the gods of the land. Follow? So we see this in chapter 1, and we see that they are put to a test, and the king orders them for three whole years, for three years. They were not going to come into his presence until after they went through this purification process, this testing. They were going to be fed with certain meats and given certain drinks, and they were going to be tested in their wisdom and their intellect and their fairness. And the Bible says that they refused to eat what the king gave them. And after so many days, they came and they found them ten times stronger, ten times wiser than all the rest that had the delicacies and all the proper things that the king wanted them to eat because they refused to eat what the king gave them. This is chapter 1. Chapter 2 is fascinating because chapter 2 introduces us to this king that has a dream. And if you could help me, there should be a slide that has an image. And he has this dream of this image that has a head of gold and a chest and arms of silver, thigh and, 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 and his stomach of, of brass, and then his legs of iron and his feet that were mixed with clay and iron. But here's the thing, is when the king had this dream, it bothered him so much he couldn't sleep. And he told all of his counselors and all of his wise men, he said, I need you to give me the interpretation of this dream. Tell me what this dream is and what it means. And the, the wise men came together and they said, no problem, O king. Just tell us what you dreamt. He says, no, I'm not going to tell you what, what I dreamt because I can't remember. It escapes me. They said, this is an impossible thing. You can't, you can't expect us to tell you what the dream means if we don't even have the dream. And he says, I know what you're trying to do. You're just trying to buy time, and if I tell you something, then you're going to go off, and you're going to make something up, and it's not going to be true. And he says, if you don't do this, I'm going to chop you up in pieces, and I'm going to make your house a dunghill. <laughs> you should look that up after church, what that means. It's just going to be a pile of rubble. I'm going to make all of your house and all of your belongings just a pile of trash, a burning pile of trash. They said, but we don't even know what you dreamt. Just tell us what you dreamt, and we'll tell you what, you mean, what it means. He said, forget it. You're all going to die. Every one of you are going to die. Man, they're freaking out. And so the word is going out throughout all the kingdom, and one of the messengers goes to Daniel. 
and says, okay, Daniel, you're one of the wise men. You're going to die. Daniel says, hold on a minute. What's going on? Tell me what's up. And they said, this is what's going on. The king has had a dream. He doesn't remember the dream, but he wants to know the interpretation of the dream. And because nobody will tell him the dream or the interpretation, you're all going to die. Daniel says, give me some time. And Daniel meets together with the three Hebrew boys. They pray together and ask the Lord to give them the dream. Daniel has the dream. He says, Dan, uh, King, this is what your dream was. It was of this image, this head of gold, this chest and arms of silver, this belly and thighs of brass, and then these legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. And he says, you not only dreamt of this image, but you also saw in the dream that there was this stone that was cut out of the mountain that hurled towards this great image and it destroyed the image and then that stone became a great mountain. He said, and what this is, is telling us what shall be. He says, king, you and your kingdom are the head of gold. And there's going to be a kingdom after you that will represent the arms and the chest. And then another kingdom that will be the belly and the thighs. And another kingdom that will represent the legs of iron. And then finally there is going to be a kingdom that is represented by the, the division of the ten toes. And it will be partly strong and partly weak. That is the clay and the iron. <laughs> but he doesn't tell us what the stone is that was cut out of the mountain. But whatever this stone is, is something that will be cut out of the mountain without any hands. It will just be part of the mountain, but it will come out from the mountain. And it will destroy all of this image, which represents all the kingdoms that will come after you. And this stone will become a great mountain whose end will not be seen. Can anyone guess who the stone is? Jesus is that chief cornerstone that may not have been received by man, but he comes and he is the chief corner, and his kingdom and his rule, there will be no end. Now, that's chapter 2, and the king says, wow, this is amazing, and he makes Daniel and his, uh, his comrades uh, great princes in the area. He, he elevates them to a great place of authority. Okay, now we go into Daniel chapter 3. Are you still with me? Say amen. He goes into chapter 3, and the Bible just opens up chapter 3 saying that the king decides to make a great image. And that everyone is going to worship this image that's 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, at the sound of the music. Right? Now, it could have been two reasons. I read commentary on both. They said it's possible that at this point the king was feeling a little pressure because he has elevated these Jews into a great place of position who only serve and say that there's one God. They deny the existence of any other God. And maybe he was feeling a little pressure and he says, you know what, we're Babylonians, we worship many gods and to appease the people, I'm going to set up an image and you're going to worship the image. Other commentators believe, perhaps like it's commonly thought, that this image was actually the image of the king himself. And maybe he even thought, man, this was a great dream and look at me, I was the golden head and so I'm going to make this great image of me and set it up. And if you could go to the next slide, I'm going to set up this image that everyone is going to bow to when the music plays. Now, let me say a few things. We're talking about, everyone say Babylon. 
We're talking about Babylon. What's interesting about Babylon is its roots go all the way to the book of Genesis. The Bible says that there was a great man in the earth. His name was Nimrod. And he built a city and he had a kingdom. It was the first man-made kingdom that is recorded in Scripture. And the Bible says that at the city of Babel that he made unto himself, they built a great tower. And this tower was going to reach up to heaven. It was the idea of this man-made religion, the worship of man, that says, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm a self-made man. If I wanted to reach up to heaven, I don't need anybody's help but my own. I'm going to pull up myself by the bootstraps. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. That, in essence, is what it is. And from Babel, we're, we're from the ruins of Babel, we know what happened there. God came down, he confused their language, and it halted the construction project. And all the people went into separate ways based on the language groups that they paired off in. But now we've got Babylon. <laughs> and that's exactly what they're doing. They're babbling on. <laughs> they're just continuing to perpetuate this self-made religion, this worship of self where they think they're going to do what's right in their own eyes. It's, the, it's man's worship of man. But you know what? If you read the book of Revelation, you will find Babylon in the book of Revelation. You will find that in the book of Revelation is still that spirit of Babylon. I preached about it two weeks ago, about how there's going to be a beast and there's going to be a dragon and there's going to be a prophet that rises from the sea and the earth and, and everyone must worship this image that is set up, this image of the beast, and you must take the number of the beast, which is 666. The number of man. Again, it comes back to making oneself God, which is the original sin. I'm not talking about that of Adam and Eve that disobeyed God and, and took of the tree, the forbidden tree. No, I'm talking about Lucifer, who was an angel of God, who told himself that I will make myself as God. I will ascend to the mountain of the highest, and I will make myself as God. The worship of making oneself God. And so here we find the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, setting up or having this image made. Now, pay, pay note to a couple things. Number one, the image was massive. It was approximately 15 times the size of a large man. In that day, uh, historians will say, in, in, in days, in Bible times, men were on average quite short. But this man, if the man was six foot tall, is 15 times taller than the tall man. I still think six feet is pretty tall. <laughs> he makes this great image, this massive image. It's bigger than life. It's larger than life. And the image still today that carries the spirit of Antichrist that goes all the way back to Babylon will make an image that is overlaid with cold, that is massively impressive. But you know what they're doing is they're trying to make up for the fact that the image is lifeless. It cannot hear. It cannot see. It cannot speak. It is dead. It may be impressive in size, but it is dead in value. It is dead in what it can do for you. And still today. I'm here to preach to some young people and some children that are going to go back to school and there's going to be an image that is set before you. It's really the image of what man could do for himself. It's the image of self-made men that worship self and worship humanity. But be careful. 
Still today, they are trying to worship an image. I love where we read about in the New Testament, it says that we be not conformed to this world, which literally means do not allow the world, hear me today, do not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. That is what the world is trying to do to our young people and to our old people. All of us, we, if we're not careful and we watch and pray, we will be told that we've got to look this way. We've got to live this way. We've got to talk this way. We've got to dress this way. If we don't have this, we won't be happy. And it's trying to squeeze you into a mold of what they say success looks like. But be careful of the worship of the image. It may look impressive, but make no mistake, it has eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, hands that cannot save. Do not bow. We will not bow. This image is is impressive. It's massive. 90 feet tall. The Bible says that this image was to be worshipped at the dedication. Watch this now. At the dedication, he calls all of these dignitaries, all of these delegates, the sheriffs, the counselors, the princes. He calls all of these people together. Do you know who's not in the list? The old common folk. We don't find any peasants listed. We don't find any lay folk listed. It's all the leaders. We would say it this way in our generation, all the influencers they got all the influencers, all the popular, all the famous, all, all the wealthy, all the stars and the idols of their day. He called all of them together. Why? Because he knew if I could get the influencers, if I could get the leaders, then everybody else like sheep are going to follow. I'm going to get the people that are in the schools. I'm going to get the teenagers in the schools and the young people and the children in the schools that are influencers. I'm going to get the teachers themselves. I'm going to get the people that are leaders in the community themselves. Because if I could get the influencers, if I could get the people that have a massive following on social media, if I could get the people that are movie stars and sports stars, if I could get them to worship the image, then everybody else like sheep will fall prey and victim them to the same form of worship, that we've got to do this in order to be successful. we got to do this in order to be accepted and to be approved. And our young people and our families and our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're not careful, we will fall victim to the sound of affirmation. We want affirmation. We want to be accepted. We want to be approved. So it's a massive image. Furthermore, we find that all the influencers are there present. That's who was invited. You know, and there's the paparazzi on the end. There's the common folks, the peasants on the end like, oh, what are they doing? Oh, what's going on? And the Bible also records that the king set up this herald or this announcer that said, all right, listen up. Everyone, every tongue, every kindred, every nation, listen up. When the music plays, you will bow. And if you don't bow, you will die. Okay, can you recap that? What what are our choices here? Option A, bow. All right, option B, die. What's up, option C? Is there an option C? Is there another? Is there another? No, just those two, okay. Um, wow, what are we going to do? 
Now, now, those are the options, but watch what plays a significant role in this story. They say when the what starts, when the, when the music, when the psaltery and the harp and the coronet and the sackbut, when they all start to play some music, at the sound of the music, you're going to bow. And all through the ages, I promise you, hear me today, that music plays a significant role on the human emotions, on the human psyche. <laughs> I mean, that's why, that's why there's movies, and you probably haven't even noticed that with every movie, there's music. Every scene. Just try watching a scene that has different music playing. I, I thought about showing it, but I looked it up, and sure enough, there's videos on this. Music makes a difference. And they showed this scene from Star Wars where one of the, one of the individuals who's a leader is going to be intimidated by Darth Vader, this, this looming icon. You know, he comes in, but the music has changed to like some kind of like love song or something. <laughs> Instead of like this doom, like imposing sound, it's like when two individuals meet on their first date. Now you know why I definitely didn't show it. <laughs> but could you, I mean, that plays a massive part in the story, right? It's the music. And, and still today, our our minds are being captivated by music, and we've got to make sure that we're very careful with what music we allow ourselves to be entertained by, what we allow into our ears, what we, what we use and propagate through videos that we share. If you're sharing something on social media and it has a tag, that it has a song that has explicit words to it, bad idea to share that. What are you propagating? What are you furthering? What are you allowing into people's souls? What are you sharing with people? Music plays a significant role in the human psyche. And music plays a role in our church services. This is why we have songs. This is why we have the choir. Why? Because it is preparing our hearts. But what is the music of Babylon preparing our hearts to do? It's to bow. It's to bow. To bow to an image of self. To bow to an image of self-worship. But some will say, we will not bow. Let me conclude this message soon and in a hurry. So we have these three Hebrew boys depicted in this illustration on the right. These three Hebrew boys that would not bow, right? We got the guard on the left with the spear. He's ready. Ah, you're going to die. And then you got the king. What's this that I hear? You won't bow? What is this? Why won't you bow? And what's interesting is he, he's like all puffed up, all in a rage, right? And the Bible says, I'm going to give you another chance. <laughs> Which to me, it testifies of the king's favor towards these three. Now, maybe in front of all of the Chaldeans, this king was like, oh, yeah, you guys are terrible. Oh, what are you? You're not going to bow. You better bow. You're going to die. I'm going to give you another chance. And if you bow, we'll just forget about this. 
O king, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. You can play the music again and again, but guess what? We will not bow. We will not bow. Doesn't matter how many times you play the song, doesn't matter how big the image, doesn't matter how hot the furnace, we will not bow. I know our entire culture, society, and generation is bowing, but there were three Hebrews that said we will not bow. I know you tried to give us a different name that represented Babylonian gods. I know you call us by these names and honor those gods, but make sure you understand we will not bow. For our God is able to rescue us from this furnace. But if he doesn't know that he is still God and there is not another and everyone shout amen. amen. Everyone shout amen. amen. That's right. That's right, Hananiah. That's right, Azariah. That's right, Mishael. Do not bow. Everyone else may cower in fear to the threat of the king, but you will not bow. We find the king at that point, his whole attitude changes. That's why I, I especially of, of the opinion that at the first time he threatened them, he was like, come on, guys, let's get this together. I'm giving you a chance here. But the Bible then says his whole attitude changes towards them, and he despises them, and he tells his guards, heat up that furnace seven times hotter. Man, how, how do you do that? How do you make fire hotter? I mean, I could just imagine they were throwing in all of this feeding fuel to the fire, making it as big and as hot, blazing hot as possible. Get a hold of them. The Bible says he got his most mighty men. I love that description. He got the most mighty men to take hold of the three Hebrew boys. And because the matter was done in haste or urgent, when they threw them in, the Bible says that the men died. I think this next slide might show a depiction of what that looks like. Yeah, the guys laying on the ground were these most mighty men that, that threw them into the fire. And as they were close to the fire to throw them in, they died. The Bible says that the three Hebrew boys were bound with ropes. And when they were thrown into the fire, the ropes burned off, but they were not burned. In fact, they were, they were in torment. They were crying out for help. The Bible says that the king, he saw them walking in the fire. And there was a fourth man that looked like unto the Son of God. This is not Jesus. This is a, a person or an image. In, now, mind you, he's a pagan individual. When he looks, he sees a man that looks like he must be of the gods. He must be a child of the gods. We propose it's either a theophany of God, a visible manifestation of God, or an angel, which often goes ahead of the Lord and his glory. But either way, there's a fourth in the fire that the king says he looks like he belongs from the gods, and he's in there with them. And the king says, do you all see this? And he cries out, hey, come on out. Show this next picture. I love this next picture. <laughs> Man, look at that. I don't know who the guy in the front is, but he's got a little swag in his step. I don't know who the cartoonist or the illustrator was. But that one guy, he's like with a limp. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, we got this. 
He's coming out of the fire. The Bible says that they weren't harmed. They weren't burned. The smell of smoke wasn't even on them. And the king was like, your God is the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. I'll let you worship your God. It doesn't matter what music we play. It doesn't matter what image we set up. But I know that your God is able. And I'm here to tell our children and our young people and our family, our God is able. We might send them back into a school system that we are worried about. But our God is able to keep them in the fire. Our God is able to keep them from the very smell of the smoke and the fire. Clap your hands if you believe it right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I like to think of it this way, Brother Ugo. The fire in them is greater than the fire around them. That's what I think about our young people and our children. Uh, we are seeing them filled with the Holy Ghost. We're seeing them baptized in the name of Jesus. We're seeing them in the altars praying and worshiping. I like to think that the fire that's in them is greater than the fire that's around them. The fire of the world pales in comparison to the great power that God has given to our children. If you believe that, clap your hands to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord, God Almighty. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you. you. may be seated. I'm just about done, but let me just say a few things. It didn't start, listen, Sister Bella, it didn't start with the music. That's not where they were like, oh, man, what are we going to do? Uh, man, that beat is sick. Sister Zoe's like, he did not just say that. <laughs> Come on, you know it's true. You've been like shopping, and then you get home from shopping, and you're singing the song as anything but godly. And you're like, your, your spouse is like, what are you singing? I remember when my wife worked at Marshall's. You were waiting for that, weren't you? My wife worked at Marshall's for a season in our lives and I remember one time she came home and she was like humming or singing a song. And I'm like, babe, what are you singing? She's like, I, I, don't, I don't even know where I heard that. I was like, that's a Lady Gaga song. Why are you singing? <laughs> I don't know how I knew. You know, pastors have to research things. <laughs> and now you got me in trouble. Everyone's going to be like, pastor, let me see your playlist. You know, sometimes stuff just gets in our head and we're, you know, and, and, but let me tell you, they didn't, I don't believe they made the decision when the music started. Like, man, what am I going to, that's some pretty good music. Like, ain't going to lie. Uh, no, it didn't start there. It didn't start with the image. It didn't start with, wow. <laughs> like, that's, that's impressive. That's a big image. Man, that, that, I would like some of that gold. I would like some of that fame. I would like some of that notoriety. It didn't start with an image that was being propagated and propped up for all people to desire. It didn't start there. <laughs> Where did it start at? Maybe it was their names. Maybe it was when they got that name change and the Babylonians said, listen, I know you've been called Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, but we're going to call you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
But we find even in Scripture that they, they stood their ground on that. That they called themselves by their covenant names that they were given when they entered a covenant with the Lord. Woo! Do you know that when you're baptized in his name and filled with his spirit, you enter into a covenant with the Lord. You have been given a name. You have been tagged with a name. You've been tagged with a name that's above every name. <laughs> but you know what? I'd like to think it started even before that. Sister Brooke, it started at home. I don't know what the rest of the families of Judah were doing. But Sister Coleman, I'm persuaded. They, messed up. they must have had some kind of parents. They must have been brought up in some kind of house. All four of them, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they must, I don't know if it was their parents, guardians, teachers, who it was, but someone, you guarantee it, someone somewhere put inside of them conviction that it didn't matter how uncomfortable you might be, it didn't matter how convenient things might appear to be if you went that direction, but they had inside of them a conviction that this is who we are, this is what we were named, this is who we bow to, and this is what we don't bow to. It doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter who you're with, it doesn't matter where it is I'm taking a stand because someone told me I've got to stand when all else bow somebody say amen, amen. hallelujah 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 and that's why we find instructions all throughout the word of God. Train up a child in the way they should go so when they're older they don't depart from it. We find in the New Testament the apostles say, bring up your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And fathers, don't discourage your children, but bring them up. Love them. Mothers, love your children. Bring them up. Why? Because there's a whole world that is fighting against the salvation of their souls and some Someone somewhere has to put into our children that you can live for God. It doesn't matter who you're surrounded by. It doesn't matter what is against you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Stand together with me. Oh, Lord, I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Lord God. It starts at home. The message that says we will not bow, it starts with the proclamation like Joshua said to the children of Israel. You're going to have to declare who you're serving. We'll serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's us taking on the responsibility that's been given to us as adults, as parents, as guardians of these mighty arrows, these arrows that are, that are awesome in the hands of a mighty man. And that mighty man is the Lord. It's us saying, Lord, help me to pour into them. Help me to train them. I love that scripture. Train up your children. I heard Brother Aaron Bounds, Pastor Aaron Bounds say it this way. You raise chickens. You train up children. I love that. 
It's really caused me to second, to, to second guess myself before I say, you know, I'm raising my kids. No, no, no. I'm not just raising my kids. I'm training my kids. I'm showing them what prayer looks like. I'm showing them what faithfulness looks like. I'm showing them what giving looks like and honoring the Lord with the first tenth of my income. I'm showing them what we don't watch in our home and what we allow into our home. I'm showing them what fasting looks like. I'm showing them what a relationship with the Lord looks like. Because if we want them to be walking out of the fire looking like that, it's going to take something in us. It's going to take some part of us pouring into them and saying, you know what? We don't have to bow. I want you to, I want you to leave this service. We're going to pray for our kids and our our young people here in just a moment. But I wonder if right now, with every eye closed, I wonder if, if we could pray for our parents right now in this room. In fact, before we do anything else, if, if, you, if you have children in your home right now that you're bringing up, that you're training up, that you're responsible for, would you come up to the front right now? Maybe they're your grandkids, maybe they're your kids, but you're, you're, you've got children that are your responsibility. Would you come up front right now? I'd like you just to, to line up this front area. All, all parents, all guardians. Oh, my God, my God. Just spread out all across this front. Spread, come on down here. Come on down here. Spread across the front. Thank you so much. Come on up. Spread across the front. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for being willing, Sister Micah. I was actually calling them to move on over. <laughs> These are parents that are here at church today. Can we give them a hand? <clears throat> Young people, children, listen up. Listen up, guys. Brianna. Fernanda, listen up. I'm talking to you. I want you kids and young people, listen. I want you to be open with your parents. I want you to share with them. If you have a mobile device that they've given you, I want you to make sure that they could look through your, your mobile device anytime. Now, I know you could go in there and you could delete the history and you could try to delete things so that they can't see it, but listen you're not helping yourself by doing that. Can I tell you something else? That if you do find yourself where you are hurt and you're hurting yourself and things are happening in your life, maybe you're contemplating hurtful thoughts against yourself. Maybe you're looking at images of pornography in your life. Things. Talk to your parents. Parents, listen up. When they come to you and they're vulnerable, and they let you know things, I don't think we're helping our kids if we scream our heads off at them, slap them and tell them to go to their rooms and be very demanding and demeaning to them. God help you not to be such a hypocrite because you and I both know that you've had your own struggles. What you and I as parents need to do is take your child and say, buddy, baby, we're going to do this together. Let me show you how to succeed spiritually. Let me show you how you could win this battle. Our daughters, my God, my, 
Our daughters right now, they are being pummeled with insecurity, thoughts of insecurity, thoughts that they're not pretty enough, thoughts that they're not good enough. Help us to bring up the confidence of our children. Our young men, oh my goodness, guys. We are, we are, we are hurting our children by allowing the, them to have unrestricted access to the internet. You think that your eight-year-old or nine-year-old or 10-year-old has not dabbled into things or been introduced to things on the internet? You think they're innocent and they, they'll never have a struggle with that? You're, you're lying to yourself. Can I get a witness in the house? You're lying to yourself. But you have to be involved. And I'm looking to the dads in this room right now. Dads, it's time you get, take up your, your mantle of responsibility. And you don't just say, well, I make the money around here or whatever. You know, I work hard all day. And that's, that's up to their mother to take care of them. That's not Bible, guys. The Bible says that husbands and fathers ought to bring up your children not to bring wrath to them so that they could be hateful towards you because that will happen. But to bring them up in the love, the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. Well, that's not my comfort zone. That's what my wife does. You're neglecting your fatherly responsibility. Can I get a male amen? Amen. Show them what prayer looks like. Show them that you're not the one that's last out the door because you are too tired or you don't want to go to church. You show your children, I'm exhausted, buddy, but we, we need to go to church. We're going to be faithful to the house of God.